0: So I add my word of greeting to those you've already heard. The wonderful name of Jesus. I'm very happy to worship the living God with you in this place on this hot July day, John Calvin's birthday. But I would never mention that because he's controversial. I didn't, I didn't say that in the first service. I didn't think they could handle it. But you can, you can forget that now. Turn to Psalm 37. Um, I'm very happy to have been given the range of the whole Psalms. I could—I was told you can preach on anything you want to, uh, as long as it's in the Psalms. So I had 150 choices. I even think they let me go first in picking them. This was a big contrast from last summer. I was—I was given an assignment last summer. I—I I actually don't remember which text it is. I just remember it was probably the last text in the Old Testament I would have chosen. I think it had to do with the slaughter of the Canaanites. And uh, that was pretty rough. So I'm very, very glad to be in Psalm 37 today. Let's talk about the Psalms for a minute. I think probably you already know this, but the word means in, in Hebrew, tel- telim, Psalms. It means a song written to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. So obviously David is the psalmist we think of the most. Um, he wasn't the first psalmist. The oldest psalm in this altar is the psalm of Moses, Psalm 90, which is ironically about time and the passage of time. We see the names of other um, psalmists. Prominent in the 70s is the name uh, Asaph. It's very interesting because um, Asaph had a few psalms Included, and the topic, one of the chief topics he, he wrote about, this is Psalm 73. If you turn 30, 37 around, it's 73. He wrote about the same thing that David wrote about in 73 and 37. Timothy Keller, in his book on the Psalms, says that the Psalms consider every range of human emotion. So it's intriguing to me that if Asaph was only going to choose a few psalms on the model of his his king and chief worship leader, David, that he chose the theme of Psalm 37 because that's one of the choices he made among the whole range of human emotions. Because what Psalm 37 talks about is your frustration and even your resentment that the wicked seem to prosper and you may be languishing. And so what it's really about is when my experience doesn't live up to my expectations, I become a believer, I embrace a certain intimacy with the Almighty, and maybe I think that um, things are going to go pretty well. And not only do things not go pretty well, but they seem to go really well for the people who haven't committed themselves to the Lord. And it's one thing to be sort of miffed at this apparent injustice, but it's also something else where you actually envy the unbeliever a little bit, or even the wicked a little bit, because you see his advantages, you see his perks, you see his high position. And this can play out uh, on a grand scale when you look at the fact that a man like Vladimir Putin uh, rules one sixth of the earth and he's trying to make it more. And you see how wicked his um, decisions and commitments have been, how much suffering it's caused. Or it could be on a small scale when, well, that Mom at school that i can 't stand, her daughter made the cheerleading squad, or she her daughter 's starting on the volleyball team. my daughter didn 't make the cut, or his son got the scholarship or <clears throat> i didn 't get the job at work. This blasphemer who takes god 's vein every day at work he 's the one who was promoted, not me, so it can play out on, on a small scale, but you know if it 's you can have a small um, speck in your eye. It's a big, big deal if it's in your eye. I mean, it, it's not a geopolitical event, but if it's in your eye, it's, it's just as big to you as the fact that Ukraine was invaded. And there are some people who look at these ancient documents and they think, well, those people are so unsophisticated, um, they were superstitious, which is why they believed in this God in the sky. And yet, at a distance of 3,000 years, this thing is very, ethically advanced. I mean, the, the scriptures uh, address our true spiritual condition, the temptations we have, the, the sins that, that, that we, str- we struggle with, and, and to bring God's point of view in, into the, the middle of our vision. That's what's happening. So David is, is addressing this, and what we're going to do, there are 40 verses in this psalm. Obviously, I'm not going to get anywhere near there. I'll tell you, the theme, there are four thrusts in the psalm, and they are all uh, contained in the first four verses. I'm going to read the first six verses. But the rest of the psalm is an elaboration of those first four thrusts, an elaboration and a reiteration. And it's like, it's like the psalmist sits, uh, sets four spikes in place. And then he hammers one, and then he hammers the other, and then he hammers the other, then he hammers the other, and then he comes back. And he keeps hammering them at different times. And um, hopefully we'll see that in a moment. So I don't know what your traditions are, but um, I think it would be a good idea if we stood in honor of God and his word. This is, I actually printed it out because the Bible was too, the print was too small. So maybe I can see this one. Uh, This is Psalm 37, verse 1. Hear the word of God. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Some of the other versions say cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Gracious Heavenly Father, show us what it means. Show us why it matters. Show us how it's relevant, how it speaks to our experience. And let your word... Do its transformative work in us that we would become less like ourselves and more like your Son Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. If you've got a Bible in your hand, um, you can trace it through. I'm going to give you the four thrusts, and then we'll go back over them. But I want to show you how, how it tracks the trajectories that go out from the first four verses. The first point is don't fret, don't stew, don't chafe, don't, don't worry. So we see that, obviously, that is the first verse. Um, we see it again in verse 7. Um, fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way. We see it again in verse 8. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. The second point, which we see in verse two, is that the prosperity of the wicked is temporary. Yes, they do ride high for a little while, but their day is coming and it's gonna be over. When it's over, it's gonna be really over. They will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And we see that reiterated in verse nine, which says for evildoers shall be cut off. Verse 10, which says in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Verse 13, he sees, the Lord sees that the day of the wicked uh, is coming. Verse 15, their bows shall be broken. Verse 17, the arms of the wicked shall be broken. Verse 20, but the wicked will perish. You see how, you see it, the reiterations over and over and over again from the second verse. Then the third verse uh, is a command, trust in the Lord and do good. Well, what, what does that mean, to do good? Well, we see it um, over and over in the passage. We see it in verse seven. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. We see it in verse eight. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. We see it um, when it says, we, we actually see it again. Uh, in verse 4, where it says to uh, delight ourselves in the Lord. In verse 21, we see that the righteous is generous as gives, and gives. You know, in hard times, we hoard. We keep things for ourselves. We're afraid. We're afraid we won't have enough. So we don't think about the current needs of other people. Hypothetic, uh, uh, actually, we think about the potential needs that we might have hi- hypothetically, and yet the scripture says in verse 26, he is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Verse 30 says the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. This is what it means to do good, which is the, the third point in the commandment of verse 3. To delight yourself in the Lord uh, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We could spend the whole time on that, couldn't we? Um, what, a, what a fabulous promise. And yet, how do we delight? And how are we sure that we're not delighting ourselves in the desires of our own heart, that we're actually delighting ourselves in the Lord? The fourth point is that the Lord's reward is worth waiting for. And we see that throughout the passage. We see it in verse six, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light. We see it in verse 17, the Lord upholds the righteous. We will need upholding and he will uphold us. We see it in verse 18, that our heritage will remain forever. We see it in verse 19, we will not be put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, we will have abundance. Wow, what kind of promise is that? It's an amazing promise. And so we see these four big statements that the psalmist makes, and then how he fortifies them, and he... um, comes back to them and he nails them home over and over and over. Now, what, what is this business of fretting? It's, um, it's, it's being upset that something is happening that we don't want to happen. It's being upset that uh, something is going on in the same way which we think should be changed. And why is it important that we don't fret? Well, because if we're fretting, Our brains can only accommodate one perspective at a time. We can't fret because things are happening that we don't want to happen and at the same time be grateful to God for what He's done for us. We we can't be laboring under the trouble of an injustice or an inequity that's going on somewhere and at the same time realize that Everything we have is unmerited, undeserved. Everything that we have is a privilege. If we concentrate on what the Lord has done for us in the gracious abundance that he showered upon us, I was thinking about this today. I mean, think about the people who lived in generations before. Uh, Water didn't come into their house. They had to go get it. And waste didn't automatically flow out of their house. They, they had to take it out. And it was an unpleasant thing. Those are just two little things. But you, you could go down the list. You could probably think of 50 things in, in your seat. Do you realize that the poorest among us, and that doesn't mean that we don't need to relieve the poor and be concerned about them, but many of the poorest among us live better than Louis XIV in the court of Versailles. You think about little things like the drafts, the lack of central heating and air conditioning, the quality of the food, how the air was always smoky from the fires, the quality of the air. There's so many things that we take for granted. We take for granted the fact that probably half the believers in the first millennium and a half of Christendom could not read or write. And yet we can be afflicted with these uh, sense of victimization. And there are true victims of injustice. I'm not denying that. But if we, if we embrace that as our identity, if we go through life with a sense of victimization, then we go through life with a sense of entitlement. And we can't have a sense of victimization and be grateful for the providence of God at the same time. And we can't have an attitude of entitlement with a sense of humility that God has given me all these blessings that I, that I don't deserve. You see... Humility, which is maybe the queen of Christian virtues, can't coexist in the same moment with this idea that that's not fair. I'm not getting what I was owed, what was due. And again, these are are such sophisticated spiritual thoughts. 3,000 years ago by the psalmist, and yet we meet it every day. So this is an internal command fret not. You know, one of the reasons Jesus was hated by the Pharisees, and one of the reasons they killed him, was because the Pharisees had externalized the law of God. And they dwelt on the externalities of religion. Whereas Jesus said, look, you guys look great on the outside. You're like a gleaming, whitewashed tomb. But on the inside, you're full of death. And God God wants your heart. Not these hypocritical external performances. Now there were plenty of, were plenty of internal commands in the Old Testament. Uh, the greatest commandment was you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. That's an internal commandment. Deuteronomy 6, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18, that's an internal commandment too. The Pharisees loved the Sabbath. That was their darling commandment. They love the Sabbath commandments. You know why? Because it could be quantified. You you can't quantify loving the Lord with all your heart. You can't say this person loves the Lord with three quarters of his heart, and this person loves the Lord with seven eighths of his heart. This person loves. How do you know that? Only God knows that. But you can figure out how many ounces somebody's picking up on the Sabbath. Say, "Oh, you picked up an ounce too many," or how many steps somebody takes on the Sabbath. Oh, you took a step. You're a sinner. You just broke the Sabbath. So they, they love they the, the externals. And this is an in, internal commandment. Don't worry about this. Don't fret over this. Don't make this a subject of your preoccupation. And, of course, the inference is um, <laughs> the wicked do prosper. They do end up with stuff that, well, we kind of like to have those things for, for ourselves. But we don't. It's temporary. And what about the man who wrote it? What was his experience of the wicked? You know, he spent a little time in caves running from the Philistines. They were pretty wicked. and They had a really good army. And, And you know what? He spent a little time, maybe a lot of time in caves, running from his own king, the man whose kingdom he saved. King Saul, a man he was loyal to, a man he risked his life for, and a man whose son he loved. Saul's son, Jonathan, was David's best friend. And Saul reached a threshold of jealousy where the whole of his domestic policy was, we've got to kill David. He was obsessed with that. And you think, well, what could be worse than that? Well, there is something worse than that. He spent another period in the caves when he was an old man running from his son. His son whom he loved with all his heart. And his son hated him. And his son wanted to take his place. His son wanted to kill his own father. Think about that. Do do you think he, he speaks from a depth of experience? When he says, you know, it's easy to get frustrated and upset with the status quo. And sometimes it's not just an inconvenience. Sometimes it's not just, well, he's, he makes a higher salary than I do. Or his kids got the scholarship and my, my kid's didn't. But sometimes it's devastation. Sometimes it's being crushed. You know, we had a stillbirth on November 7th. 1981, the next day, one of my best friends, I performed his wedding. He played the piano at my wedding. Probably my oldest friend, because I I knew him at age five and we were pals. He wasn't an enemy, but his son was alive. I see him on Facebook from time to time. And I think, well, my son would have been one year older. This is the stage of his life. And I mean, you know, um, well, what if that was an enemy? What if that was somebody horrible? How easy it would be to envy the experience of that person and be a little bit disappointed in God because of what, what he got and what I, didn't, what I didn't get. These are real things. And yet they were experiences that King David suffered himself. Well, <clears throat> the second thing we're told uh, in verse 2 is that the prosperity of the wicked is temporary. It's not going to last that long. And, and when it's gone, it's gone. If you jump to the end of the psalm, you see that it says in verse 38 that sinners will be destroyed. The future of the wicked will be cut off. Now, there's another pair of verses at the end of the psalm that I want to call your attention to. Um, First, I'll tell you the story. People who study preaching, people who've made preaching their life, uh, I would say that a majority of them would agree that the greatest preacher in English in the 20th century was a man who had no biblical or theological training. He was a physician, and he gave up being a a physician just before he was 30. And the thing about it is his wife was also a physician. And they didn't hand out medical degrees to women very often in uh, 1926. And um, Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, felt the call of the ministry, even though he had no training. He had the best medical training in the country because he studied at St. Bartholomew's Hospital and his major professor was the most celebrated physician in England, Lord Horder, who had been physician in Waiting to the King when Edward Seventh was dying. He... Uh, call for Lord Horder, and all of a sudden he became famous because the king wanted him, and so and not only did he study under him, but when Lloyd Jones graduated from medical school, Lord Horder recognizing recognizing his brilliance, called him into his practice on Harley Street in London, the most prestigious medical address in the in the UK. So he walks away from that, and when he was being introduced. He went to South Wales first, and then 13 years later, he went to London. When he was being introduced to the pastoral staff at uh, Westminster Chapel in London, the first weekend in, in September 1939, the service was called off. So he never got a welcoming service because the day before, England declared war on Germany. And at the, on that weekend, the British government had given the Germans an ultimatum. You, got, you get out of Poland or we're going to declare war. So for about 48 hours, everybody was watching. What is Hitler going to do? What's he going to do? The whole world were watching Hitler. And of course, he didn't get out of Poland. And world, we, we always think of World War II as September 7th. No, 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 it started in September, uh, December 7th. It's not December 7th, forty-one. It started in September uh, 1939. Well, almost six years later... The first weekend in May of 1945, Westminster Chapel was having a reopening ceremony. The congregation had had, um, dispersed with all the bombing. That's why they canceled the service. They expected bombing. The roof had been blown off. They were going to meet with an open roof and thank God for victory over Germany. And Lloyd-Jones is walking toward the front of the building, and someone shouts to him and says, what are you going to preach on? And he shouts back, Hitler's text. And Lloyd-Jones, and and, and the man said, well, well, where is Hitler's text? And Lloyd-Jones said, come and see. Come and listen. This is the text that, um, that he preached from. Psalm 37, 35, and 36. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a green tree in its native soil but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Now you see the first weekend in September 1939, everybody was looking at Hitler. The whole world was looking at Hitler. What's he going to do? Is there gonna be another war? The first weekend in May, 1945, everybody was looking for Hitler, but they couldn't find him. They still haven't found him. He was never found. The wicked do have their day, and it bothers us. But their glory is temporary, and it will end. And the righteous are to be fortified that. The righteous are to move out uh, in that confidence. We understand that uh, God's timing, though it be late or tardy in our eyes, is perfect. So what are we supposed to do in the interim? Well, we're supposed to trust the Lord and to do good. That's exactly what it says. An exact quote. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. I just picked up the NIV. Uh, Dwell in the land and and, and cultivate faithfulness. So um, we can't fret and trust at the same time. We can't have we just saying about peace. We can't have peace and be fretting and upset at the same time. We're promised joy. We can't enjoy joy and fret and chafe at the same time. The two emotions cannot coexist in the same brain at the same moment. So we're not just called a- away from something. We're called to something. I mentioned the example of David a while ago. Think of the example of Joseph. Joseph was uh, given a dream and an interpretation by the Lord. He shared the content of that revelation. He he was not wrong when he did that. Some Bible teachers say he shouldn't have done it. He should have done it. It was the word of God. He didn't originate it. There was no other word of God. He He was just a messenger. His brothers hated him. They already hated him because they knew that their father loved him better than he loved his other brothers. And so as a result of that, well, what, what, what did the dream promise? It promised that Joseph would be exalted. So what happened? Joseph was thrown down. What did the dream promise? The dream promised, what did the Lord promise? He promised that Joseph's brothers would look up to him. So what happened? They threw him in a pit, and he was looking up at his brothers. Just the opposite. Just the opposite of what was promised. So what did he lose? Well, he lost the affection of his brothers, probably never had it. He lost his family, the affection of his father and little brother. He lost his country his nation, then he lost his freedom. And he lost his freedom twice. First he lost his freedom as a slave, then he lost his freedom as a prisoner. Now, um, I'm wondering in this generation how little we prize chastity, how little we prize purity. And yet, especially in a room like this, with people like this, with a book like this, we can recognize that uh, it's a desirable thing, and it's a thing that brings its own reward. I don't have time to elaborate on the rewards of purity. I'll mention one to say to your bride or your groom on your wedding night, sweetheart, you're the first. Pretty nice wedding gift, isn't it? Pretty nice way to, to uh, start the honeymoon. If you can't do that, there's power in the blood, okay? Life-giving power in the blood. He removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. But what a gift. And what a thing to strive for if you haven't lost your purity yet. But think of this. What if by being pure, what if by saying no to the temptation and yes to God, what if by doing that, You receive the public reputation of a rapist. You were convicted of sexual assault. Now, some of you who are not familiar with the Bible are thinking, what an outlandish, coarse, unseemly, stupid illustration. And the reason you're saying that is because you don't know that that's exactly what happened to Joseph. When his master's wife tried to seduce him, forcibly, by grabbing his clothes? She, t- she lied to her husband and said, this boy assaulted me sexually. I don't think Potiphar believed her. It says that he was angry, but it doesn't say what he's angry at. I think if he believed her, that Joseph would have been summarily executed. I think he sent Joseph to prison to keep peace in his home. And I think that he told the warden, take good care of this, care of this boy. You're, you're going to find out he's going to be your greatest asset. And that's exactly what happened. Now, in the fullness of time, here he is suffering, suffering because he said what God said, suffering because he did what God told him, or he didn't do what God told him not to do. In that context, two other prisoners join him. And what's he doing? Is he stewing over the injustice and the fact that he got a raw deal, which is about what 99.9% of all prisoners do? Well, he really did get a raw deal. So what does he do? He looks at their faces. By the way, I think this is the first example of pastoral care in the Bible because this is what a pastor is supposed to do. He read their faces and he saw their trouble and he asked if he could help. Why are your faces cast down? This is Genesis 40. Why are you cast down? Tell me about it. Well, you see, we've had this dream and it really troubles us. Really? By the way, it's also the birth of prison ministry. By the way, I would contend it's also the birth of missions. Joseph is a foreigner witnessing the Egyptian nationals. And he begins to tell them about the God of Israel. He says, oh, if it's a dream, hey, no problem. Maybe I can help. Don't the interpretations of dreams belong to God? Now, where did he get that buoyancy? Where did he get that confidence? He didn't get it from the Bible. There wasn't a Bible. He didn't get it at church or at the temple or at the tabernacle or at the synagogue. There weren't any. There had never been any. He certainly didn't get it from the fellowship of his family. And you know what? Here's the big thing. Here's the thing you and I need to be so, so careful about. He didn't get it from his own experience. His own experience had been just the opposite of what God had promised. So far. You see, Joseph had the kind of relationship with God that there's no way my circumstances could be hard enough to compromise your promises. There's no way my difficulty in life, my devastation, my tragedy, my heartache could ever cancel out the validity and future certainty of your promises. It's an astounding thing. And it's in the very first book of the Bible. And you see, a day did come. His brothers were wicked. And the end of their prosperity did come. There was a famine, and they got hungry. I don't know what this line means, and it's okay because Bob Dylan didn't know what it meant either. 1966, Blonde on Blonde. Uh, when we meet again introduced his friends please don't let on that you knew me when i was hungry and it was your world his brother showed up in in egypt and they didn't know that they'd met him before they didn't know that they were meeting again but they were hungry And it was Joseph's world. You see, the prosperity of the wicked is temporary. They will be cast down. And the righteous will be raised up. Joseph continued to do good. He continued to trust the Lord. And the day came, I think of, you know, there's so many examples of this. Paul and Silas thrown into prison in Philippi, Acts 16, which I think is the critical hinge in the New Testament. And um, first they're beaten. Then they're thrown into prison. Not just the prison, but the inner prison. Not just the inner prison, but the stocks. You know what that meant? That meant they couldn't walk. That meant they couldn't stand up. You know what that meant? It meant they couldn't go to the bathroom. Sorry to be crude. I guess it was just as well because there wasn't a bathroom, but there was a corner. And if it was a luxury prison in the first century, maybe there was even a bucket. But it didn't matter. They couldn't get to it. Now, they did exactly what God told them to do. They said exactly what God wanted them to say. They went to the exact place God wanted them to go to. And here they are. It's midnight, and they can't move. So what are they doing? You remember what they're doing? They're singing praises to their God. Boy, I'd like to know the name of the hymn. It may have been this song. Paul was imprisoned again. Paul was imprisoned in Rome. The emperor Nero ordered that Paul be beheaded. You see, if if it ends in death, that doesn't mean that these promises are nullified. Death is not the end for a believer. How long is eternity? Death is a beginning for us. Do you realize how much time stretches out in front of us? I'm, you know, I'm in my 70s. I, I like to say I'm in the fourth quarter hoping for overtime. A friend of mine the other day, a, a woman, a colleague in Budapest, she wrote me a note. She, I, she, she wasn't trying to make fun or discourage me, but she said, I realize you're rounding third. I thought, oh, I'm rounding third, am I? You know, well, the, uh, the silver lining is I'm so slow, it'll take me a long time to get to home plate, but <laughs> she thinks I'm rounding third, so I better... I better be careful about what I do with my time. And Paul was beheaded in Rome in 67 AD. And you know, and you know what? Nero died the next year, 68. And the time soon came when men would name their sons Paul and their dogs Nero. Trust in the Lord. Remain in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Now, the fourth thing is that God's reward is worth waiting for. It's it's worth waiting for. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what? Uh... we don't even understand our own desires. I was on an airplane once when I was single and a very intelligent woman told me, whatever you do, follow your heart. I've been to a few secular uh, commencements in my life. And most of the time the speakers say the whole, the same thing over and over and over and over. They say, believe in yourself, believe in yourself, believe in yourself, believe in yourself, over and over and over. I went to a commencement at a at the American School in Budapest once and there were five different presenters and they all said that. And they said it more than once. And I'm thinking, how can, how can the 17 year old believe in himself? He doesn't even know who he is. I saw, I'm ashamed to tell you I was on the internet, it was actually on Twitter. I saw the funniest video I think I've ever seen online today. And somebody put a mirror in the woods and filmed it. And a bear came ambling up and all of a sudden he saw himself in that mirror. I didn't know that you could see shock and panic and fear <laughs> on the face of an animal. I just didn't know that an animal's countenance would betray, uh, portray all those emotions. I promise you, it was like a cartoon. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. You know why he was in a panic? He didn't know who he was. (laughs) So when we try to delight ourselves, we focus on the desires of our heart. We don't know what it is we want. This is why what we think we want is, apart from God's word, we think we want... um, Sensuous indulgence with attractive partners. We'd like to have a lot of money. We, even if we're really stupid, we may even want fame. I saw somebody's uh, note the other day, he said, Cultivate obscurity. I thought that's a wise man who gives that counsel. And, um, but you know, where, you know where we find money and sexual indulgence and great looks and fame? We find it in Hollywood. You know what else we find in Hollywood? We find people who can't stay married. And if they do stay married, we find out it's an open marriage. And they take other partners about 85% of the time. You know what else we find? We find people who yo- use drugs. A high percentage. You know what else we find? We find people who have therapists. You know what that means? You know what all those three things mean? It means they're not fulfilled. It means they're not getting their needs met. It means they thought they desired one thing, but it didn't fill their heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, the tricky thing about that is we, get, we may get excited about that verse uh, for the wrong reason. We may be delighting ourselves in the desires of our heart and the prospect of getting what we want instead of going deeper with the Lord and seeing his beauty. By the way, one of the songs we sang this morning was a song about beholding him and there was, behold, what he did, what he did on the cross. You want to learn how to delight yourself in the Lord? Look at who he is. Look at what he did. You know, there are people who think they've tried Jesus, which makes me laugh. They, they think they've seen Jesus. Jesus is an infinite personality. It will take an eternity to begin surveying the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. We need to come face-to-face with the cross, And begin to think about what it means. Somebody somebody told me in Hungary years ago, well, it was only six hours. Let me tell you something. Jesus ingested hell for us. That's unimaginable. Hell is an eternity. Jesus took an eternity of his Father's wrath for us. Do you understand that? Then explain it to me, because I don't. But it happened. And when we begin to behold who he is, and what he did for us, will be overwhelmed. We will grow in our love for him. We will grow in our gratitude to him. We'll begin to delight in him. We will want to please him more than we want any earthly thing. You know, uh, to go through life hoping you're never going to encounter anything difficult, never face anything that would uh, fill you with, with disappointment, Do you really want a life like that? Do you really want to stand among the saints, some of whom were burnt for their faith and realize that you never embraced one difficulty or endured with joy and thanksgiving one difficulty for Jesus' sake? I got a friend, I'm not going to name him. Some of you know who he is. I have a growing friendship, a fairly new friendship with a man nine years older than I who uh, his chest will not accommodate his medals from Vietnam, and he flew 300 combat missions. He was shot down in the Haiphong Harbor, rescued by a Navy frogman, miraculous rescue. That's a North Vietnamese harbor. And he, he also shot down a Soviet MiG-21, and for that he got a silver star medal in combat. You know what? I was 4F. I'm blind in my right eye. I think some kinds of envy are okay. It can be benign. Boy, I envy him that. I don't envy him the danger. I don't envy him the near near death. I don't envy him the threats that he faced for our freedom. I was pretty relieved at age uh, 18. When I was told, well, you, we can't take you. Um, now I, I envy him. But you know what? Um, there's something more precious than the star, and that's the scar. And you know what? We still have our chance. We may not get into a physical war, but if you're a Christian and you're committed, we're in a warfare. And you may be able to win the divine accolade and one day hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you know what? That's better than a gold star in combat. That's better than the Congressional Medal of Honor. We still have a chance at that, blessedly. Even though we may have missed out on the physical war, we're still in a spiritual war. If as many of you are better well-read than I am, but as far as I can tell, the greatest English prose ever originally written in English was what Shakespeare put in the mouth of Henry V in his play Henry V, the King's speech on the eve of the Battle of Agincourt, October twenty-fifth, fourteen fifteen, and no English king ever spoke like this. But Shakespeare could write like this, and you go home and Google that, and. Tell me it's not the greatest prose you've ever read. And from that speech, we get the phrase, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. Somebody told me last week that that was the best film they'd ever seen. We band of brothers. It comes from Shakespeare's phrasing. And in the speech, the king says, I know people are scared and want to go home. If they want to go home, we'll pay their way. We don't want anybody fighting by our side who spurns the fellowship of our mutual death in battle. And by the way, uh, 8,000 British troops routed 20,000 Frenchmen. 6,000 Frenchmen died, 400 British troops died. And what King Henry V said was, uh, a day will come when men will remember this battle. And they'll strip their sleeve and they'll show their scar. and they'll say, "I got this on Crispin's Day. It was, the battle was fought on a Catholic feast day no longer celebrated, St. Crispian's Day. So don't, don't envy the star. Envy the scar. and stand in the day of disappointment, the day of tragedy, the day of battle, and trust the Lord. And may your confidence in him be bulletproof, unthreatened by any tragedy or disappointment in your life, no matter how gruesome. Amy Carmichael served the Lord for 55 years in Japan and India without a furlough. And she fell in a construction ditch almost exactly 20 years before she died. She was an invalid the last 20 years. Can you, can you believe that? Can you believe taking 30 years in that hot furnace of South India serving the Lord, and in this life you get a reward. You become an invalid for 20 years and can't leave your bed. Don't expect the reward in this life, children. It may not come, but it will come, and that forever. She wrote these words Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand. I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archer, spent, leaned me against a tree to die. These are Jesus' words. And rent by ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have traveled far who have no wound, no scar? Now, if you're here without Jesus Christ, you are justifiably confused. And let me just say that the way we receive these promises and the way we gain this confidence for the future, no matter what befalls us in the interim, is by trusting the promises of the Son of God who came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and died as if he had sinned all our sins, was punished for our iniquities. So you see, it's a substitution. He was our substitute on the cross and received the rage of men and the wrath of God so that we could receive the reward of his righteousness in heaven. You say that's outlandish? It is outlandish by earthly calculation. But you see, it's not an earthly calculation. It's a heavenly plan which no human being could have thought of. If you will believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died, that you're a sinner and you don't deserve saving, but you will receive the gift of salvation by his grace because of his shed blood and atoning death on the cross. If you will believe that and transfer your trust to that, away from self-righteousness, away from vain hopes, away from a kind of a clueless agnosticism, you too will have eternal life. It will be yours forever. Jesus will come into your life. His Holy Spirit will become your personal resident tutor from the inside. And you'll receive the power to become less like you and more like Jesus. And let me tell you something that's a good thing. It's a thing we dare not die without.
1: Amen. Good morning, High Point Church at Home families. My name is Whitney Clay, and this is Stephen Lyles. Hey, guys. And we're so excited to be with you today. Um, we just heard an incredible message from Pastor Ronnie Stevens. Um, maybe you've had the privilege of hearing him before. He's spoken here before yeah. at High Point, um, but we love having him be able to come in uh, as a guest speaker and guest preacher and to bring the word. He's. We were just talking about how in awe we are of all that he knows. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's just so. He, i mean, just he knows like all of it. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> um, he's been preaching for quite a long time, and we love that he we're able to share the pulpit with him, and right. he comes and we sit under his teaching. So hopefully that blessed you this morning like it did us. Uh, but if you're new here or if you've been here for a while doing church at home, we would love to know that you're part of our church at home family. And so there's a response card right above Stephen's head. It's a little QR code. And if you pull out the camera on your phone and hold it up, you can click a link and it asks, I think, three questions. So you just tell us a little bit about yourself. We'd love to know where you're watching from, how you found us, so that we can begin to build a relationship with you and know how we can resource you and come alongside you as you're growing in the gospel. So do that you can also chat with Sarah she's moderating today Ooh, Sarah's in the house. <laughs> she's sitting right over here and she would love to talk with you and so make sure you say hello to her let her know where you're watching from and if your QR code is not working for some reason you can talk to Sarah and we'll get that information because we'd still love to get to know you um, but today we were in Psalms 37 which yep. is such a great psalm. Um, but I love how we're just spending time in the different psalms, getting to understand a little bit of God's word. And you and I were talking about how we like how he explained what the psalms were.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That um, the psalms were, were given uh, to David, um, that he, this is where he took all of his grief and his yeah. pain and his sorrow. And that was just really comforting to me because I was like, "That's that's so true. And like, where do we where do we take that stuff? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and so it was just re- a great reminder that yeah. uh, that this was God-ordained, mm-hmm. that God did this for a specific reason. And I, I really liked how he talked about that the first six verses actually repeat themselves yeah. throughout the entire psalm. Which I've never and, noticed
1: that, but it, right. it does. <laughs> and
2: and really throughout all the psalms, yeah. there's this recurring, you know, thing with David and with the psalmist that uh, it just... You know, we talk about it all the time, so yeah. it's just really great.
1: And I think it's a good reminder, like you said, for us that we can bring our emotions to yeah. God. Like he's big yeah. enough to handle the grief and the sorrow and the worry and the anger. He can handle all those things. Absolutely. And um, yeah. I love that we get that picture of even David's heart because we're reminded that God loves us too, and we can do the same things in our prayers.
2: Right. And, you know, he, he talked about the four things, fret not yourself, the mm-hmm. prosperity of the wicked is temporary trust in the lord and do good and then the lord's reward is worth waiting for and those are just you know those are things that we've struggled with at times but yeah. it's good to kind of hear that and to put it in context and uh especially with david so it was it was really a great lesson
1: yeah i like that first one. When he was talking about um, fret not yourself yeah. and talking about worrying and fretting and uh one of the questions that pastor ronnie gave us is what form does your fretting take? And, and it's a command. It's, you know, fret not. And so yeah. we're not—it's throughout Scripture, right? Worry not. Don't fear. And yet, here we are, still fretting and still worrying.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it's it's about—we've heard this in the past with Pastor Will's sermons on anxiety and, mm-hmm. and other things, identity, yes. that it's so easy for us to lose that, to lose our identity, to lose our focus on what we should be focused on and to begin to fret and to worry and be too anxious and and all those things. And so just a great reminder to center us back and go, you know, the main thing is the main thing, yeah. and that is the gospel. That's, you know, Jesus yeah. and what he did and what God has done and the finished work of the Trinity. So. And,
1: you know, he talked a little bit about that. When we're looking at all those external things, we yeah. forget that it's really an internal matter, yeah, right? I and love so, that
2: quote he said, yeah.
1: Yeah, we're comparing ourselves, we're envious, we're covetous, all this kind of stuff, and it's like, Lord, that's why I get so anxious and why I'm worrying yeah. because I'm not remembering that he's on the throne. And I was thinking, too, when I read this, too, I think sometimes um, – um, it's easy to think about the big things I worry about and be like, okay, I definitely need to bring those to God. Right. But then all the little things that I worry about, I'll just handle those, right? right. But right. it all comes back to that need for control when mm. really the Lord is the one who's in control. And I love how he said, we we dare not trespass on God's sovereignty. Like, oh, and yet yeah. that's what I do all the time when I'm worrying and trying to grasp at control when really I just need to rest in the Lord's sovereignty and rest that he's on the throne. Yeah. He's able to take all of those things.
2: And then he repeated it a couple of times during the lesson that when David was in that space, when he was in all of those things, and Joseph too, what did they yeah. do? They worship, Right. You know, they turned to God. And I'm like, it's so simple, but so often we forget to do that.
1: Definitely not my first response, usually. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> freak out.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> And so, I guess the the second question, or one of the questions that uh, Ronnie gave us, was what would it mean specifically for you to cultivate or befriend faithfulness? Mm -hmm. I love that word, cultivate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, what it would mean specifically to cultivate faithfulness?
1: Yeah. And I was thinking about that question um, just in light of how he put, you know, Joseph in that context is kind of the illustration that Joseph he knew the Lord like yeah. he had spent time with him and it was yeah. this intimate connection that he had with him. Yeah. And I think of like how often I'm so guilty to run to all these other things, you know, social media, let me just zone out for a little bit or let me watch right. TV and I won't worry about this cause I'm going to just zone out when really, what would it look like if I took those worries to the Lord mm-hmm. and spent time with him and cultivated that relationship with him. So I'm reminded of his sovereignty.
2: Yeah. I love what he said about Joseph, that he got that confidence, not from uh the Bible or fellowship or church or the synagogue or, or any of those things or even his experience that he got it from being in a relationship right. with God with knowing who God was and God knowing him. Yeah. And that's just that's that's so important. And yeah. it, it's it seems so simple. <laughs> yeah. But Like, we mess it up all the time. All the time. So.
1: And I think the beautiful reminder, though, is that if that's not a daily habit that we're in, it can be. Like, it's not too late to be like, well, I never do that anyway. I might as well not now. Like, you can start that today. Like, he reminded us, spending time in God's Word, spending time in prayer. Those are easy things that we can start even today, even moment by moment.
2: I think that's where I like the word cultivate so much is because Mm -hmm. it it talks about, that's the idea of, of taking the opportunities we are given and using those to build that relationship with God, to cultivate, Mm. you know, like you do a plant, You, you water it and you baby it and you spend all this little time with it and then it becomes something great. But to cultivate that relationship, it does take time. It yeah. does take us spending time with God. And, uh, and so, true. yeah, we encourage you to do that.
1: And maybe today, you know, Pastor Ronnie, at the end of his um, sermon, he talked about that relationship with the Lord, like if you've never stepped into that relationship. Right. And maybe for you, you, you don't have that relationship with Jesus, or you're wondering, what would it look like if I did that? You know, and you may have a lot of questions surrounding that, and that's okay. So let Sarah know that, fill out that QR code, because we would love to get in touch with you and say, hey, what questions? do you have? Or let us walk with you in this process, because you're not alone. And we want you to know Jesus. It's the best decision that you can ever make. And so let us come alongside you as you do that.
2: Yeah, that, um, definitely let us know. Um, one of the last questions we'll talk about today is, what do you think delighting in the Lord means um, concretely? And, uh, you know, that's a verse that we have heard about a lot. Yeah. We've, and he said it today, like, you'll know this part of the verse, Right. right? And we we read that verse all the time, um, but what does it really mean to delight in the Lord?
1: I love how he said, um, "Don't." And I'm looking at my notes here. Don't delight yourself in the desires, <laughs> but in the Lord. Right. <laughs> and I right. like it's such a good reminder because we're like, oh, if I just think about this, or I'll get this, like a genie, and that's not really how it works at all. And we, if you remember, um, Pastor Parker spoke on this verse a few weeks ago, yeah. talking about delighting in the Lord, and really what it comes down to is that the Lord is our delight. Mm. And so the more we delight in Him, then the Mm. desire of our heart Becomes more of the Lord, right? And so it's this beautiful picture of God working, but it's us getting closer to Him. It's like cultivating those seeds of faithfulness, right? Like that intimacy with the Lord, right? And it's a really beautiful picture there.
2: Yeah, and and for so long, you know, misunderstanding that scripture and thinking if I can only do the right things, right. then God will give me the desires of my heart, and that's just not what it means. That's not the gospel. Yeah, and and we just got to be careful that we're we're not. Taking that out of context and making it mean something that it doesn't. When we delight in the Lord, that He is our desire, then then He will make us desire Him more. Yeah. And and when you do that, and you have the right identity, like we talked we've talked about so much, is you'll see those things of the world and those things that don't matter just fall away. Mm-hmm. They they don't matter as much anymore, because our desires are in the right place yeah, and that is in our Lord Jesus. And
1: I think of how gracious of the Lord to know that what I really need above all else is more of him. You know, like that's the ultimate desire that I need is more of him. Right, And um, that's just a reminder for all of us today. Like I think so many times we get it wrong and we put the desire, you know, or the the thing or the worries, all those things on the throne and really God is on the throne.
2: I know this is kind of stepping away, but I think about Jesus's life here on earth and I think about his simple Request to the, the the disciples, which was follow me. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't know all this stuff or do all this stuff. It was just follow me. Yeah. But how many of those guys at the end of his life and and after did they desire to have more and more of him? Mm-hmm. You know that they were so upset when, yeah. he, when he was gone, but then after understanding, but we still have him. Yeah, we still have him, and we have him, and it's just great to know that we can. Des- have our desire in God and in the Lord. And, and that is where our delight comes from. So anyway.
1: It's just a beautiful psalm. And I hope that you guys will spend some time together, maybe read all 40 of the verses, see how that pattern kind of picks back up through there. And then um, in just a few minutes, the discussion questions are going to pop up on the screen. And so you guys can talk through the rest of those and hopefully get to know one another a little better and be able to encourage one another in cultivating those seeds of intimacy. Because we really do need that, those seeds of faithfulness. We need to be encouraged to pursue the Lord and and to do that together in community. That's right. Yeah.
2: We have lots of resources at highpointonline.com. If you're local and you have an opportunity to come and and spend time with us in person, please do that. Like, we would love to see you, love to meet you. Tell us, hey, I've been watching at church at home. You know, it's great. Um, But come see us if you have the opportunity here at East Memphis or at Mm Collierville. Remember the QR code if you need to. to tell us something or ask something, or if you just want to talk about something, please let us know That's what we're here for.
1: Absolutely. And like he said, we'd love to see you in person, but we know many of you are watching from out of town and we love that you're a part of our church at home family. And we're praying that you guys are able to build community right where you are, gather together with your family or friends or neighbors and and watch the sermon and use these discussion questions to encourage one another in the gospel. And uh, we are so thankful for you guys. We love you guys and we'll see you here next Sunday.
2: Thanks guys.